Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. It matters. Written by underscore sky underscore underscore. Life is extremely abundant in the universe. Even primitive civilizations quickly realize that much. However, unlike many others, humans knew nothing about it until they developed wormhole generators, enabling them faster than light travel. For some reason, which remains hotly debated topic among scientific circles even to this day, this solar system had only one single life-bearing planet to their home planet, obviously. Shockingly, other planetary bodies in this system didn't even have simple microbial life, let alone complex flora and fauna. Not even the gas giants, which are usually notoriously famous for hosting a stupendous variety of viruses and bacteria. Now, naturally, some readers might find this just to be a cruel coincidence that happened in only this one rather unusual solar system and wonder why mankind's telescopes did not manage to detect life in some other neighboring systems. After all, any species capable of generating wormholes must also be able to build more than adequate sensory equipment, which could reveal traces of life even on the planets hundreds of light years away. For this, I must first commend my readers for their rational thinking and their logical reasoning. Secondly, I also have to ask them to be open-minded about what I'm about to utter next. For, believe it or not, the diameter of roughly 1,200 light-years around the human solar system, there is not a single life-bearing planet, moon, comet present. Due to such circumstances, humans were only able to witness study one instance of life, their own carbon-based chemistry, making it practically impossible for them to know how to detect a multitude of other types of life, not to mention other more exotic forms of technically carbon-based life which use inefficient nanite fusion reactors to fuel themselves, not the chemical energy of burning oxygen like Earth's animals. Due to the isolation, humans are one of the few species to develop FTL technology by themselves and the only known civilization to do so before cracking the theory of abiogenesis. What natural phenomenon had put humans in such a lonely position is still open up for debate. As I previously stated, at the moment, the leading theory has that a series of cascading supernovas, events where a giant supernova affects other, larger neighboring stars, do also go supernova in a few thousand years, completely sterilizing the area of space, giving it no time to recover. It is assumed that Earth was spared due to the planet being coincidentally protected by its parent star in exact time every occurrence of the supernova explosion. Unlikely, but statistically still possible. Despite the fact that not a single cascading supernova has yet been witnessed or recorded, it is assumed such events were only plausible in a time of the early galaxy, and even then exceedingly rare. Just for comparison purposes, it is estimated that out of the more than billion barren lifeless planets in our galaxy, more than 99.3% are located in human space, 
which speaks volumes about the unusual situation their civilization found itself in. In my investigation, I conclude this lifeless isolation was likely the driving factor behind how infamous first contact was between the Terran Union, official name of the human civilization, and the Krizil Hive, which obviously needs no introduction. It is hard for us to understand a worldview of beings such as humans, but it is well established that the extended periods of time they seriously considered the theory which exerted that they were likely the only intelligent species in the entire galaxy. This is obviously an accurate assumption, only shows the desperate state of their severe lack of rudimentary data which emanated through the entirety of pre-FTL mankind. And to my readers who find something like that ridiculous, and rightly so, I would ask of them to try and put themselves in a position of an average pre-FDL human and seriously try to come up with a different conclusion, while still taking into account the mediocrity principle. For one, you literally have no proof whatsoever of life outside of your own planet, and due to the fact that you are located in such a desolate place, there are no more advanced civilizations close to visit your planet and leave behind archaeological evidence. Even those which were in their, um, neighborhood, a few thousand light years away, had more than interesting places to visit, filled with colonizable planets, enemies to fight, or crystal hive swarms to run away from. With all that explained, I would like to return to the topic of the first contact wars, and take a highly unpopular stance regarding it. While most blame the humans for the start of the war, and often get extremely emotional when considering the wide consequences, I for one find their action more than rational, taking into account that they did not know the side effects of aggravating the Krizil Hive, nor did they have a clue about the countless trillions which would die as the Krizil Hive stripped thousands upon thousands of life-bearing planets to collect resources needed to overwhelm the Terran Union. Rather ironic, when taken into account that the war technically started, with mankind's dreadnoughts engaging one of the Grizzle swarms poised to harvest the biomass on the planet inhabited by the medieval-level civilization. You see, dear reader, those medieval primates the Grizzle aimed their harvest were the first intelligent life ever discovered by humans, supposedly intricate creatures by human standards, possessing a rather complex culture, dense fur, body composition similar to that of a human, plus substantial amounts of feline wolf features. Unexpectedly, familiarity and pleasant physical appearance of those primates to the subjective human eye played a big role in their mutual interaction. Mankind had found first alien microbial life only a year prior, and you can maybe imagine their surprise upon discovering a system with eight planets, all littered with complex life, one of which was a home to the underdeveloped alien civilization. The complete shock and amazement such a discovery caused inside the Terran Union was unprecedented. Unlike our civilizations, which are surrounded, molested with life, and usually see other civilizations as an unavoidable nuisance, humans saw them as something more, not just a mere curiosity, but a potential way to enrich their culture. I assume that human civilization evolving in an environment devoid of life totally alienated a way of thinking compared to our common sense. But then again, it makes some logic for them to consider it valuable, something which they saw as extremely rare. 
We mostly learn what we must about other civilizations in case we have to engage them in some form of diplomatic exchange, ask them about the possible sightings of advanced chrysal swarms, etc. While large numbers of humans want nothing more than to explore everything about them, their customs, and any form of art that they might possess, though they certainly do not share those same feelings when they came to the chrysal hive. So when, considering all of that, it'll not come to you as much of a surprise to find that mankind has studied that medieval civilization tirelessly from day one, and saw them both as invaluable scientific discovery, and a likely future member of their own Terran Union, even naming the system Divita, but I'm not all translates to life in one of the other languages, unaware that what they had discovered was the norm rather than the exception. However, the system de Vita was also highly lacking regular life-littering neighborhood systems, so humans were still left clueless about the true nature of the universe. Few years after, they already started uplifting the natives technologically, when all of a sudden, a small chrysal swarm opened up a wormhole into the system. As a small, but to mankind a few billion of 11-kilometer-long harvester ships was all but small. However, in a time that had not yet witnessed terrifying grouping orders of a magnitude more numerous, though it is said that the humans were more shocked by the design of the Carousel harvester ships, long egg-shaped cylinders littered with spikes, and found them far from appealing. Unfamiliar with the locust of the galaxy, as the humans nicknamed them afterwards, they tried to establish contact. Especially Chrysal gave no reply and went on consuming, stripping one life-bearing planet after another launching the countless spikes from their outer hull down to the surface. The spikes would soon grow and harvesting drones or warrior forms in some apex predator proved to be a potential threat, leaving nothing but barren empty worlds, likes of which the humans have seen too many. Terran Union observed all of this and desperately employed every conceivable method of communication, unable to understand what the Grizzle were doing even self-detonating some of their own ships safer distance away to try and get their attention. Unsurprisingly, to us who understand that despite their ability to degenerate wormholes, the Grizzle are not technologically intelligent, sapient race, but are more alike to a stellar bug or swarm lifeforms, believed to have evolved during an early stage of the galactic development likely in some system laddered with asteroid debris and dust particles, creating a form of basic atmosphere long before any planet-bound life emerged. Though in truth, evolutionary origins of the Chrysal Hive are almost highly debated topic, and far greater minds than mine have failed to find conclusive answer to that. So I will leave it be, for now. Expectedly, the mankind's attempt to enact diplomacy with the Chrysal failed spectacularly, with a biomass of a whole life-bearing planet consumed on a weekly basis and no signs of slowing down. Some information I have say that during that period of tensions, humans saved significant amounts of biological samples from those worlds, while carefully avoiding any form of contact. This method of life preservation, when faced with the Chrysal Swarm, is very similar to the one our civilizations deploy and does show that for a certain period of time, humans can be quite rational and perceptive of potential dangers. I raise this point because the story about mankind being hyper-aggressive species which cares not for the oblivious perils too much acceptance in our community, even within some members of the academia which do not understand human stubbornness and continue to fight against the Chrysal Hive. But to me... 
It was obvious that any species that could somehow, rationally or instinctively, perceive possible, likely consequences of its actions would surely not be able to form a cohesive civilization, let alone build a wormhole generator. So, after the Grizzle Swarm had already consumed the biomass of five out of the eight planets in the Devita system, the Swarm closed in and one of which was the home to the primitive civilization. By that time, however, humans had amassed a sizable fleet in its orbit, mined the surrounding area of space, and fortified the planet in hopes that all of it would act as a strong deterrent. Even going as far as to allow biological volunteers from the Terran Union to deploy on planet, next to the countless synthetic robot divisions which were already present there, ready to defend it. All with the knowledge that an option of retreat did not exist, only individuals which had been evacuated from some civilians belonging to the said medieval civilization. To my readers, who now probably laugh at the notion of using a deterrent against the Grizzle, I would like to state that Terran Union had surprisingly sizable military tradition, despite being isolated from potential invaders from another world. Because who would be crazy enough to go into a part of space which looks like it has been stripped clean by the biggest Grizzle swarm ever recorded? Current records show that their advancement in the AI technology was unparalleled. Their armies and fleet required no biologicals to function, yet could still be supplemented by large numbers of biological conscripts if needed be, to hold the line in the case of a catastrophic military engagement. But for the additional clarification, I would advise watching sensory recordings of the first battle which ensued after the Krizil ignored all of their warnings sent their way. Unlike some other civilizations which previously tried to face the Krill, the humans also had an unexpected advantage of their industry being far away from life-bearing worlds which the swarm could harvest and replenish its forces while performing the attacks of said industrial zones. I would also add that mankind had an advantage of simply having the time to significantly develop their forces even after discovering the wormhole technology. For as my readers will undoubtedly understand by now, and know that the tragedy conflict which unfolded in the Devita was in large part due to the humans themselves opening up numerous wormholes into the system in order to send in all kinds of research, civilian and military vessels there, what in turn attracted the Grizzle Swarm in the first place, as they are biologically able to detect the wormholes and have a far easier time opening their own wormholes into a system which has already experienced such an anomaly. My own species has once a rare few to figure out how to open wormholes by themselves, unaware that with every additional wormhole we opened inside our system, chances of a chrysal swarm noticing us increased, until one day they arrived and we were forced to flee. Some readers might claim that to be the reason I am biased in the favor of humans, but those are just the type of ad hominem attacks and do not present an argument in this discussion, as I am clearly differentiating between the facts and personal opinions. Though I must admit sensory data shows Grizzle's swarm getting decimated by mankind's dreadnoughts has some appeal to a member of a civilization whose home planet's biomass got consumed by them. Still, even I had a hard time believing the claims of human diplomats that their first engagements with the Krizal Swarm had been nothing but decisive victories, despite how likable such stories were to me personally. It turned out that ever since the formation of the Terran Union, mankind hadn't participated in any form of interstellar conflict. 
but still did conserve robust military doctrine and tactical planning, where military AIs and biological individuals performed constant theoretical works, and simultaneously related to the topic of utilizing new technologies into war-oriented applications. Luckily so, if I might add. Regardless of their initial belief that they were likely the first intelligent species to arrive in the galaxy, they were careful enough to consider the idea that they might be wrong. However, it was realistically impossible for them to predict, with significant degree of certainty, the type of enemy that they would be facing. And even after being aware of such a statistical fact, they showed obvious bias in their analysis of the potential threat, never for once assuming that they might face a rapidly spreading stellar organisms. Instead, they expected an enemy with similar configurations to that of their own civilization, and which uses reason, logic, instead of hyper-tuned biological instincts, like the Grizzle. You can say whatever you want about Hive's doctrine of aggressive quantity, which the swarm always seems to employ whenever facing anything akin to a conflict, but it is undeniably efficient when it comes to interstellar warfare. However, the Grizzle's initial attack failed to surprise the Terran Union and its military organizations. They might have never before fought or even realistically seriously considered facing an enemy comparable to the Hive, but their artistic, fictional works of regarding the topic were plentiful. I was surprised to hear that literally for centuries, individuals or groups of humans wrote extensive fictional works depicting the multitude of scenarios where mankind participated in military engagements versus the type of opponent which was in many ways extremely similar to that of the Grizzle Hive and its wanton life-devouring swarms. Initially, such often ingenious works of military theory were disregarded as unrealistic but were fortunately preserved amongst mankind's data banks significantly improving tactical reaction of their AIs once the conflict finally escalated in the DeVita system. Here, I'll finally say a few words about the results of initial engagement between the Terran Union and the Grizzle Hive. As by now, all of my readers, regardless of their species, will have enough info to reasonably clearly understand actions of both participants. Leaving aside the truth that there are few sites so scary as a Grizzle Swarm, their individual ships' harvesters never presented a significant challenge to battleships of any post-FDL civilization in a fair one-on-one fight. But as we all know, the reality is far from fair. The Grizzle Hive usually only seeks engagement if it has a comfortable numerical advantage of at least 1,000 to 1. If the Swarm is not ambushed or wants to slow hold the enemy until reinforcements arrive. Previously, the best historical record result victory of any civilization accomplished was by untranslatable noise, which were able to defeat a single swarm despite their fleet being outnumbered by roughly 571 to 1. However, the species' untranslatable noise is no more, and in recent times, some historians tried to challenge those claims, but that is beside the point here. However, all that is in the early days of the galaxy, as the Grizzle further evolved and adapted to any obstacle, their harvester ships became ever more adequate with every engagement, perfecting themselves over billions of years of uninterrupted evolution. Such results were considered almost impossible to repeat, and no one was really willing to attract the wrath of the galactic apex life form anyway. After all, the evolution only favored those who would run away from it. 
So when the Chrysal Swarm approached the Planetarian Union previously spent months fortifying without answering to any of mankind's attempted of communications, the whole howl broke loose. The Minefields Yes, my fellow sapiens, it was a proximity mines humans deployed in a wide orbit around the planet. They were the first to go off when the Chrysal Harvesters simply flew into them to the complete shock and amazement of the humans. As they were completely visible, there was clearly served as a deterrent rather than any kind of insurmountable obstacle to send a direct message of uh, stay away. However, Chrysal and a malistic mind likely initially only saw them as debris, not a threat, and once the Chrysal swarm was hurt, disturbed, everything spiraled out of control. True, the initial explosion released megatons worth of energy, turning thousands of chrysal harvesters into nothing more than space dust. But as always, the hive adapts, and rather quickly at that, the swarm launched unlashed myriads of spikes from the hulls of the harvesters, obviously aiming for the now-perceived danger. Most of the mines were destroyed or swept aside with a crude but surprisingly effective projectile weapons. The projects, which failed to hit a mine, however, continued on towards directly towards the Terran fleet, which now considered itself under obvious assault and open fire. Now, Grizzle harvesters might scare you, but mankind's dreadnoughts will do much more. Never before has any known civilization built such monstrosities of war, constructed with the idea that in a confrontation there is no substitute for quality. These 113-kilometer-long ships give a meaning to the word firepower. Their armaments capable of extinguishing life from a planet in a single burst of its guns, covered in a sleek frame aerodynamically shaped like a knife, ready to slaughter any enemy. Their thick silver armor littered with nanites and programmed able to repair even the grievous critical damage. Such armor combined with the synchronized sapient AI-guided point defense systems make for one very sturdy ship. Even before Chrysal projectiles managed to reach human fleets, thousands upon thousands of harvesters were disintegrated, be it by the countless lasers which swayed all over the swarm with surgical precision, or by product of untold other types of weapons mankind's dreadnoughts unleashed upon them. The first engagement was intense brief, but intense, with the initial wave of Chrysidi harvesters numbering in the millions swept aside by vastly superior weaponry, only a few of mankind's dreadnoughts suffering any damage. But the hive adapts, it always adapts, each of their following attacks more furious, their ships rewriting their genetic code to ever-changing flow of the battle, their harvesters reforming into their battle forms, growing weapons and armor by the substantial rate. So... It was not enough, and regardless, the swarm numbers, humans were completely victorious that day. Our own civilizations never had the luxury to significantly experiment with wormhole technology out of fear of attracting the attention of the Grizzle Hive. But not the Terry Union. They and their AIs were able to pursue scientific advancement far beyond what we have ever contemplated. Armed with that knowledge, they developed zero-point energy reactors of absurd efficiency and used them to power their dreadnoughts, giving them an almost insurmountable edge in most of the battle scenarios. But I admit that it is not an argument as to why we should ally with the humans. Few days after the Chrysal swarmed the Devita system yet again, trillions of harvesters ready shaped into their warrior forms, launching both themselves and weaponry against the wall of mankind's war machine. 
overwhelming but never really breaking them, while losses piled up on both sides. The entire system was plunged into a war. Fighting slowly spiraled from planet to planet, from orbit to orbit. The chaos spread everywhere. And, in the center of it all, a small life-bearing planet, a home to a civilization humanity had no obligation to defend, but still gave it all that it had. Mankind's dreadnoughts and carriers constantly bombarding and harassing the swarm as it flung them like some wild animal. It was an ultimate confrontation between the biological instincts of the Chrysal Hive pitted against the technological brilliance of a sapient mind. It was a duel between a raging swarm of space-wearing organisms against the fractal arranged formations of a hyper-intelligent AIs. And somehow, even when the Chrysal Harvesters managed to close the distance, the fleet of the Terran Union held on. It's already severely damaged dreadnoughts launching themselves into the swarms to self-detonate, taking countless enemies down. The dreadnoughts, being sapient themselves, mattered little. The humans' idea of value of life which they were to protect was in too high regards in their minds. Finally, a few days after the ferocity of engagement sided down, there was a dense ring of debris left circling the parent star of the Devita system. Mankind was somehow victorious again. But that's not an argument as to why we should ally with humans. Humans have a saying, third time's the charm. And it was, for the Grizzle Hive, their third offensive started by constant openings of a hundred wormholes, launching wave after wave of swarms, their doctrine of relying on quantity slowly depleting the feet of the Terran Union. But even when faced with defeat, they did not pull back, determined not to give an inch, buying time for mankind's military AIs to come up with another idea on how to fight the alien enemy, regardless of the odds. Initially, they focused on developing a type of biological weapon, as by now they had some understanding of the nature of the Grizzle Hive, like nobody had tried this before. Still, the Terran Union in that time knew nothing about the history of other civilizations. Expectedly to us, any virus bacteria they designed stood no chance against the capability of the Grizzle ships to rewrite their DNA or to simply discard the infected parts of themselves into a vacuum of space saying nothing about the challenges of spreading the disease amongst such organisms. Even weaponized nanites failed miserably. Then they turned to mass production, their industrial capacity thrown into overload, with countless of purposely constructed drones fighters deployed against the hive, small ships far easier to produce than dreadnoughts. Naturally, the Grizzles simply responded by growing their own fighter-class drones, forcing the Terrans to again go for quality. In desperation, before the last remnants of the human fleet fell, the Terran Union played its irrefutable trump card, though an experimental one, sending into the fray the most advanced spaceship ever developed, a super-dreadnought, the Sun Eater, a true marvel of sapient engineering. I ask my more curious readers to forgive me as the human diplomats did not give me specific details regarding the weapons of mass destruction, as it is a military secret. What little I was able to understand in general terms is that the Sun Eater is equipped with a multitude of custom-designed FDL drives which enable it to generate wormholes not as a means of travel but as a weapon in an ingenious way. Opening wormholes where one end is connected to the center of a nearby star while other end is placed at the heart of the opposing fleet is far more harder to do than it might seem as it requires the capability of opening a three-way wormhole from a single location combined with substantial miniaturization of wormhole generators. 
a true game changer of weapon, if ever there was one. With literally the power of stars in its hands, there to burn the opposing fleets, once the Sun Eater entered the battle, the balance of power shifted. Grizzly swarmed, surprised and unable to adapt to the tactics quickly enough as millions of harvesters perished with every new wormhole that opened. But that is not an argument as to why we should ally with the humans. What I can speak about is what came after. Suddenly, as the Terran Union seemed to be one of the verge of victory, all connections with the Devita system were lost, with no explanation as to why. No micro-wormholes were easily used for communication which could be opened, not a ship or supplies could be sent to aid the battle, and none in the Terran Union could understand why. Carelessly, they had tried to open wormholes inside the Devita to support their own trapped forces, but regardless of all the power energy they had hastily thrown at their FTL generators, no wormhole could be opened there. The reason for this is known today, but is a strict military secret. In utter desperation, and a few hours later, they finally managed to emerge a few light months away from the system, with the ship's resolve to traverse the rest of the way at sublight speeds. Expectedly, their senses caught the light coming out of the system, and with it, the entire battle started again, playing off in front of their eyes. Everything, from the first moments of the Krizil entered the system and the initial engagement, to their dreadful harvesting of planets, the mankind fleet forward while seeing all too similar scenes of Krizil swarm plunging itself against their fleets, fearful of what they might see next as they closed in ever closer, fully aware of the time that they had already passed. Some dreadnoughts even seeing themselves and what they were doing before they had retreated for the critical repairs and nanite armor was not able to accomplish. Or some experimental upgrades, only to finally bear witness to, for the second time, the carnage Sun Eater unleashing upon the swarm. Still nothing could prepare them for the moment when their superweapon failed. Without any warning or explanation, all the wormholes it held open, spewing hot plasma in the center of the star now collapsed, leaving the remnants of the Terran fleet to fend for themselves without constantly arriving reinforcements from the industrial powerhouse of the Terran Union. But luckily, the same was true for the Krizil Swarm too. When they finally reached a relative proximity of the system, everything was unexpectedly silent. No SOS signals, reinforcement requests, or tactical information was transmitted to them. It seemed again as if the humans were alone yet again, this time in a more ominous way. They scanned whatever they could, a few million Krizil ships to find scattered all over the system, easily destroyed on their own. Cut from the reinforcements, and with no more life-bearing planet left to replenish their numbers, they presented hardly more than a practice targets. But those small victories could not in any way offset the shattering loss. The surface of the planet which so many tried to protect was devastated, littered with craters of obvious signs of heavy ground combat. Of the native life, there was barely anything left. Microorganisms, mostly. Survivors? There were none. The fighting had been so fierce that the traces of the synthetic life-form Terrans had designed for the sole purpose of war were hard to find, let alone any remnants of human volunteers or natives. They had deployed everything they had, from ordinary fragile humans to robust hyper-intelligent nanite swarms, but it was not enough. From the native soldiers, which generation ago knew no weapon more sophisticated than a bow, to the full division of the finest mecha warriors, it didn't matter. 
fortifying continents with everything from self-replicating AI mines, orbiting mesh drivers, laser installations powered by zero-point reactors, to the pits filled with sharp sticks. The grizzle were too numerous. Using everything from nuclear, biological, chemical, space-ripping weapons of mass destruction to the one last bayonet charge, and that is what shook me to the core. For what I have seen there defied any reality. Some recordings have been saved, engraved into the information crystals, the only thing Krizel would not consume. Every single one of them showing the same. The last stands of small groups of survivors fighting with what they had left, trying to somehow write down what they had learned in the hopes that it would help others to win where they could not. Terran diplomats have shown me it all, and every time I overwhelmingly saw the same thing. Not the desperation, or the fear of death, but hope. The belief that regardless of how grim, how suicidal their last charge stand was, it was worth it. A single scene in particular had cut me deep, far deeper than I thought in any memory possibly could. On top of a small, rocky hill, a primitive bunker on the verge of collapse, its surroundings littered with half-blown trenches, coupled with spikes topped with fluorescent chemical poisons. Everything to hold the Krizil war forms, even for a few minutes more. Around it, the combat raged in earnest, every single combatant holding the line, no matter the blood energy required. Nowhere to retreat from here, the land upon which they stood, soon to be their grave. They all knew it, I'm sure. It took me more than I care to admit to recognize that the defenders were not a single cohesive group. I can't explain it. Somehow, in that moment, natives, humans, mecha warriors, synthetics, even the nanite swarms, they all looked alike. No, not physically, not like that. It was the way they stood, fought, and died together that made them look like a single unit. What I saw was so much more. In front of my eyes, a human and a native soldier charged from the trench, shoulder to shoulder, like brothers in blood, armed with nothing but pikes tipped with fluorescent poison. In front of them, Terran synthetic warriors engaged in hand-to-hand combat, strangling two grizzly war forms, their exoskeleton crushed by its brute strength, but their tentacles lashed out instinctively, trying to rip him to pieces. Then... Just as another Krizili war form rushed in to overwhelm the synthetic, both human and native frantically threw themselves in between, somehow piercing its weaker belly. Far from enough to kill or even severely injure the Krizili war form, but enough to give them synthetic plenty of time to react. Sadly, not enough to save the two of them, the Krizili they pierced slashed out with them with an obsidian-like tentacles, just a single moment before the synthetic charged head into it, ripping their said tentacle with religious zeal, smashing its exoskeleton. He turned his head only to see both of his saviors lying on the ground, their blood flooding out from a small puddle under his feet. The human still seemed to be breathing, the native not so fortunate. The synthetic warrior moved closer to them, likely to give them first aid, but another five Krizili war forms were already upon him, trying to rip his artificial body apart. He was trampled down, grabbing what was left of one of those pikes and stabbing and slashing as he could, the fluorescent poison mixing with the yellow blood of the Krizilis as their tentacles smashed into his synthetic body. It was made of stone stuff, might have emerged victorious somehow, if not for the few more Krizilis swarming onto him, their instincts telling them that there was the time to strike. 
I did not see from where exactly, but heavy rifle fire from some mecha plowed through the Krasidi's exoskeletons not a moment too soon, enough to give the synthetic a clear edge, an edge that he did not squander, even though victory did cost him his right hand. Damaged as it was, he rushed next to the lying human to check up on him, disregarding the artillery strike pounding on the ground not far from him. There was a lot of dust in the air, and what was probably the reason I never saw the nanite swarm positioning itself to shield them, nor the other armed synthetic forming up a perimeter. My attention was fully captured by the dying human. Blood pouring through his mouth, and his smile never left his face as he stared at the synthetic he saved. I was neither able to understand nor hear what they were communicating with each other, the sound of the surrounding battle too chaotic for me to discern. Grizzle warforms pushing hard on their position. Still, I somehow knew that I was looking at what were the last survivors of the Terran forces. Remnants of their respected divisions tied together in a final, desperate defiance to the Grizzle Hive. There, in front of me, was the last human in the Devita system, drawing its ending breath, giving its life to protect a synthetic warrior designed to die for mankind. The irony of it did not escape me. If humans are ready to fight, bleed, and die to protect a machine, imagine what they would be ready to give up for another life. And that is to me the best argument that we can have to ally with the humans, because to them, all life matters. Except for the Krizzle Hive. Frick the Krizzle Hive. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed and if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.